High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Son, you gotta work late. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Welcome to the endless summer. It continues. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where means the friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, Unfortunately, summer school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. First things first, I do want to slightly apologize. This episode was pushed to the weekend instead of Monday, because things got busy. Truth be told, my brother is getting married this weekend. I'm out in Long Island celebrating, but you know how weddings are in the family, especially if you're in the bridal party. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. It's a lot of work. (laughs) But of course, your regular actual High School Slumber Party homework that you care about. First, hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And while you're there, leave us a positive review or a five-star rating. Also, check us out at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the home of so many other great pop culture podcasts, including this one. My other show, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. We're going to be dropping some episodes of that really, really soon, so check that out as well. And of course, your High School Slumber Party homework. Did you listen to our Dirty Dancing episodes? Oh, they were epic. We had the time of our lives talking that film. I had Kyle Reinfried on, all the way from San Emilio Island. Christian Larson was on, too, in a special segment about the Catskills and the Borscht Belt, if you will. And then Rachel Shepard came on to talk about her love of the film. That's a two-parter. Check it out. Please let me know what you think on our social media, or just chat with me about anything. I'm there to chat. And that's, of course, High School Slumber Party, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and my personal Twitter, OhMyRodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. Oh, I know you're excited for this one. I know you're really excited for this one, because Kate Hudson is back. The Kate Hudson of Twilight fame, well, Twilight podcast fame, and fame here on High School Slumber Party, we are talking 1988's Hairspray. That is not the John Travolta Hairspray, which we make clear in this episode. It is a different Hairspray. It is the original Hairspray. It is the origin to all Hairspray musicals and movies and all content after this. It is awesome. Definitely watch it. Definitely listen to today's episode. But I want to remind you that it is not the Travolta Hairspray. We already covered that with the aforementioned foodie films man Kyle Reinfried. Check that out in the archives. It's in earlier episodes. Just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling. There's a bunch of high school movie news that I want to get Brian Rodriguez on. News anchor Brian Rodriguez on to talk about. Like a Ferris Bueller spinoff series possibly coming to Paramount. Is it going to be like The Offer? Is it going to be something else? No, it's going to be something else. But I want to take my time with it. For today, 
let's just get into the episode. But I promise you, in the next couple episodes, we're going to talk that. There's a couple other weird things going on in the High School Slumber Party universe that I want to discuss. But, you know, it's crunch time. It's already late summer, and I don't have all my episodes in. So let's just get into it. Hope you enjoy it. This is 1988's Hairspray, and the song that we're going to leave you with is Hairspray. Who does it? It's the theme. Let me see who does it. Rachel Sweet. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother to be up Ryan's, because we're about to get our party on. Summer school class dismissed? I don't know. <laughs> see you on the other side. Talking off air, it's been a while since you've been on Heist of Slumber Party proper, not talking about vampires or Princess Diana. No, I was in detention. <laughs> Ayo, no. It was just a high school joke. I had to make it. All the Fear Street people were like, you're yeah, out. Kind of banned from Fear Street, because people loved Fear Street. They really did. Oh, no, they didn't. People with bad taste love Fear Street. <laughs> I stand by it. And now I'm like, Christopher, they're going to do Christopher Pike, and they're going to ruin oh, it. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, the Midnight Society, which is... The twist is awesome, so I don't know. Yeah, I, we can't even get into it. Well, let's it. hope they keep the twist for your sake. They better. It is so dumb. <laughs> People who know, know. <laughs> well, I'm one of those who don't. I only know him from you. Which is so depressing. Like, Christopher Pike is a goddamn national treasure because he's a weirdo, oddly very Catholic man who wrote teenage pulp porn horror books it was awesome but then he'd be like that bitch had an abortion she has to die to save humanity <laughs> God. We're, we're recording this at night and i've had my first drink yes on brand kate on brand <laughs> thanks Fair thanks enough. again for joining do you remember how to introduce yourself on high school slumber party uh yeah and every time i've done it in the past like five high school slumber parties i try to make it more interesting than it is but since it's been a while i'll just do it the normal way my name is Kate Hudson. I am East High. Go, go T-Birds. Class of 2003. Usually we save the go T-Birds for the end, but it really doesn't matter. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mixed it up. I mixed it up. You are a frequent guest regardless, so intro n- not yeah. even needed. And I would love to just say like, oh, have you been? It's been a while. But A, we talk. And B, even if we didn't talk, yeah. you were one of my favorite Twitter followers because you share. You you indeed share. And then I delete. Every year I delete. I'm like, no one can ever come after me now. <laughs> really? You purge your tweets? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Of course I do. Oh, so they're ephemeral. Even even more reason to follow at Hudson Kate on Twitter because you never know when they're going to disappear. Oh, yeah. I, I saved the ones where I got to interact with my favorite contestant from Rock of Love because I'm like, that needs to be preserved. <laughs> 
like you never know what's going to turn out to be offensive. So, well, I guess you do if you're not, you know, an upper middle class white lady. But <laughs> it's a constant surprise for me. So, yeah, I, I just think it's better to delete and not have that this you moment five years from now than to keep it up and be like, shit. I guess shit's not a good word to say anymore. You know? <laughs> Fair. You know, you're not afraid of the hot take. Popular TV shows, popular movies. No one is safe. Nobody is safe on, on your Twitter account. But it is a fun follow and a chaotic and fun follow, that's for sure. Yeah, People are mad at me. I don't like Stranger Things. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Do I not like a show about men for men presented as the universal default? Okay. <laughs> if you're a Stranger Things fan, don't be turned off like you were at the Fear Street episodes. Please listen. Because we're not no, talking... No, if you're a Stranger Things fan, let's take it the other way. Let's fight. You DM me. Let's pick a place and let's fight. We are not talking Stranger Things today. It's not happening. If you want to fight Kay Hudson, be my guest. Find a bar. Find a bar in Chicago. Your odds are you might be correct, and she'll be there. Yeah, just make sure they've got rosé on tap, and you're good. <laughs> That's what I'm drinking, rosé. So are you really? Yes, it was it was oh. something open in my fridge, and I took some. I love rosé. I need to like. I'm drinking. I'm drinking like bougie white claws, and I just read that white claws aren't popular anymore. What? Well, no, because you should just, and I agree with this take that you should just drink like not the malted liquor. It you should because they taste bad after like the first three sips. You need to just drink your vodka sodas and okay. I agree. What? I love white yeah. claw. You're in the minority. What's the best seltzer then? Well, right now, well, I'm drinking fancy white claws called Press because they come in like obnoxious like pumpkin spice type of flavors like the one i'm drinking right now is grapefruit card- cardamom oh wow but i think high noon is the best but high noon i've been talking to people high noon doesn't count because that's vodka that's the what i'm saying though they're saying like i read an article and i agree with it like get rid of the shitty malted that the malted canned beverage industry is tanking because people are realizing oh it's kind of shitty why don't we just drink canned vodka most of them are shitty and i agree high noon is superior but Again, not why people probably tuned into High School Slumber Party, but that's just what we do here. (laughs) We are talking Hairspray, the 1988 Hairspray. The classic. This is a movie that defines my personality, Brian. I'm not sure you knew that. Wow. Well, I can't wait to get into it because I have questions. I know you want to talk some John Waters films. We landed on this one. So what's your history with Mr. Waters and Hairspray? Well, okay. I had a really, really cool teenage babysitter when I was six years old. Or maybe this was five. So 1989. Her name was Jenny. She was cool as shit. She kind of <laughs> looked like Ricky Lake. And like she would tell us Stephen King plot lines from books as bedtime stories, which sounds like she's being a teenage asshole. But we loved it because we'd never get access to those things as like kids. So she treated us like we were adults. And I remember every time she'd come over on a Saturday night, she would make us walk Jake and the Fat Man and MacGyver, and we would try to annoy her. She's like, these are my shows. You need to shut up or go to bed. She's cool as shit. Anyway, she was coming over to babysit us, and my mom, because she's our next-door neighbor, and my mom was a young mom, she's like, okay, I'll take you to Cars, which was like our local Safeway, which might even be a niche grocery store chain for most people. And she's like, I'll rent you a movie. And Jenny picked Hairspray. Oh. And I was enamored, enamored with that movie. I, I got in so much trouble in kindergarten. You know how they'd have like student of the week and like we all got to ask them questions. And then like it was their like time in the sun. 
I would ask, are you now or have you ever gone steady to everyone to the point where my kindergarten teacher pulled my mom aside? She's like, <laughs> why does Katie keep saying this? She's like, because I let her watch Hairspray. <laughs> what a random takeaway, but I love it. That's so cool. It's one of my favorite movies. You said this is the, you know, classic Hairspray. The, this is the superior Hairspray to you. because the OG Hairspray. Oh, for sure. We have, there was Hairspray the Musical. Uh, did you see any version of the, I'm talking about the, the theater musical. I did. I did. I saw the John Travolta wannabe divine. It was. So it you was saw the, awesome. so that's the movie, but there was also yeah. a Broadway play. We don't all live in New York. Yes, but they right? tour, they tour. And if you're a true theater kid, which I know you're not, you'll find a way <laughs> because you know, theater kids around the country know all these songs and they know Dear Evan Hansen stuff and they've never seen the play. So I know you're not a theater kid though. I'm not, I, I don't even know any of the songs unless they caught, but I have that memorized, like our, our movie, I had that soundtrack memorized. That's awesome. So, but no Travolta. Did you watch no. the live, the live hairspray that was on some network when those live things were really popular? Did they do that already? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, clearly you didn't. <laughs> well, why would I, listen. Nobody can play Edna Turnblad like Divine, not John Travolta, not Harvey Firestein, not anybody. You know how some people were like, oh, don't recast Indiana Jones, you can't do it. Like, I am like that with Edna Turnblad. You don't understand. I was realizing this today when I was watching this, that you know how those toxic asshole guys on Twitter who their entire personality is like they love Goonies or Star Wars or whatever, <laughs> and they just like harass everybody every time those movies come up? So my fan Here's base, you- yes. Yeah, sorry guys. Hairspray is that movie for me. Like nobody can do it better than who they cast. Nobody. Bold words. I don't disagree. We covered the Travolta hairspray on here. And yeah, if you like musicals, whatever. But this is OG hairspray. So you have a long history with this film. Is it a film you revisit often? I've seen it easily 50 times. Wow. I don't There are films that you've seen so many times, right? Like a lot of them too. You watch a lot of movies. I, okay, do you want to know the best, worst part about Hairspray? I did not realize it was about racial equality until my 20s. <laughs> like, if you watch a movie so often as a young kid, it's so in- baked in your DNA and your personality that you don't absorb it. It's like these assholes on Twitter who are, like, bitching about Star Wars suddenly having a political message, not understanding that Star Wars was about, you know, essentially the Vietnam War and World War II and how we actually are the bad guys. It, it was my epiphany moment in the 20s. Like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and it's really in your face here, but I get it. We've had a bunch of movies on High School Slumber Party that people watch as a kid and then have rewatched. And they're like, oh, they had a message. It ju- just wasn't fun, you know? And I could totally see that. I actually did not watch this movie as a kid. I think the really? first and only Most time. people didn't. <laughs> well, but I definitely... <laughs> Saw it for the first time as an adult. This is probably my second watch ever. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, so uh, let me read the back of the VHS and then we'll get into it. I'm sure you have a lot to say. So this is not original VHS. You can tell by what I'm about to read, but... Shake your tail feather with the wackiest set of stars ever assembled in acclaimed director John Waters' Hairspray. Ricky Lake, host of the Ricky Lake Show... that dates when this VHS was from, makes her feature debut as 1962 teenager Tracy Turnblatt. With huge hair, a big grin, 
and all the right moves, she's got what it takes to make it on Baltimore's number one dance review, The Corny Collins Show. Soon, Tracy is all the rage, pitting her against the show's former reigning princess, Amber Von Tussel. Ew! <laughs> Amber's evil parents, played by pop music legends Sonny Bono and Debbie Harry, cook up a plot to steal back Amber's teen queen crown. Standing in the way are Tracy's own funny folks, cult comedy sensation Divine, and Seinfeld's Jerry Stiller. Oh my god. <laughs> this is such a mid-90s. Yeah. full of hysterical cameo appearances like rocker rick okasic which i didn't know was in this movie wait really yeah uh of the cars yeah he's the beatnik yeah he's the beatnik i had no idea he was in this movie like first time i watched it i didn't do my research and superstar pia zadora do you know who this is she was not a superstar even in the mid 90s god bless pia zadora do you know who she is because i read like In a lot of places, like, oh, Pia Sadora's in this. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know who this is. So tell me. She is the one. Okay. Well, first off, she was the child in Santa Claus um, Santa Claus and the Martians. You spell it S-A-N-T-A-C-L-A-U-S. Hooray for Santa Claus. It's a great Mystery Science Theater 3000 yes. episode. But she's the one whose husband bought her the uh, Golden Globe in 1981, I think. So it was a huge scandal. And then... They had to revamp all their rules, and that's why, to this day, the Golden Globes are not viewed as prestigious as the Emmys or the Academy Awards. Wait, her husband bought her a Golden Globe? Yeah, like, there was a whole thing. Like, I'm sure it's on her Wikipedia. Like, I remember it's like, a hotel room, and they basically bribed all these people. And then she, yeah, bought her the Golden Globe in, like, 81. Wow. Yeah, reading it it now. It was a huge scandal. That's crazy. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians is how I know her. I guess she was a superstar to some people because that's what the back of this box says. Maybe her husband paid uh, whoever made this uh, VHS box to write that. Who knows? Well, John Waters loves her because she's so like quirky and kitschy. He wanted her to be Tracy Turnblad, but she couldn't do it. I believe it. And I, I like her look, but whatever. We'll get into it. Let me finish this box. Okay. Uh, full of hysterical cameo appearances and hip-shaking, hot-rocking tunes. Hairspray holds up as an unforgettable good time. I mean, I think somebody was still into the coke of the 80s writing that in like 1984. <laughs> Seinfeld's Jerry Stiller and Ricky Lake of the Ricky Lake Show. Ricky Lake Show was a big deal in the like early to mid-90s. Oh, it was. My mom used to watch it because my mom was a younger mom, too. And it was like... Why watch Oprah? I'm watching Ricky Lake. I, okay, I, I have to like jump in. It was She was offered the role of Amber Von Tussle, not Tracy Turnblad. Oh, sorry. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no. I, I was a Jenny Jones Ricky Lake girl all the way. I've always loved trash. <laughs> Truly, John Waters shaped my entire personality because he got me young enough. So this is the only PG John Waters film. And watching it on this watch, I thought it was going to be more like the other John Waters films. So... I found that interesting, and no comment on that either way. But uh, this is not your only John Waters film, correct? Oh. You, you are a purveyor of other Waters content. I okay. So my favorite John Waters are obviously Hairspray, number one, as Courtney Collins would say, with a bullet. Um, <laughs> I seriously, I have this movie embedded in my DNA. Crybaby, but we can't talk about Crybaby one because Johnny Depp fucking sucks. But the only thing that sucks more than Johnny Depp are his weirdo followers on the internet. So you're welcome. 
Oof. Oh, yeah. That, no, I thought that, that was oh. why we couldn't talk about it. And now you've alienated them. So thank you. They used to after me all the time. And it was so weird. It was so weird. And then my third is Serial Mom. I love, I love Serial Mom. I Do you remember? I like how we hit with. What? With, oh, it's like Patty Hearst is in it, Kathleen Turner, I think Matthew Lillard, some of the people from Hairspray, Ricky Lake. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I have to catch up on my John Waters. I've seen Hairspray, obviously. I've seen Crybaby. Yeah. Yep. Crybaby, uh, Female Trouble, and Pink Flamingo. So I've seen like the earlier stuff. Oh, I think I've seen Pecker, which I didn't really know was a John Waters film. Peck, it's it, that was his like 1998, right? With like Edward Furlong. Did yeah. Did you see a lowdown shame with Sel- uh, Selma? Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's her name? Selma what? From Legally Blonde. I like her. Selma Blair. Blair. Yeah. I don't think he's done anything. Like, even his Simpsons episode is amazing. No, I know. He, and he's amazing. And uh, what a legend. If you're not familiar with John Waters for whatever reason, do a deep dive, please. This podcast today is not going to do it justice. But, Ugh. I mean, okay, how would you compare Hairspray with the other works of John Waters? Like, I don't want to, like, make it sound immature, because, like, that's not what it is. But John Waters has a certain style that, yes, we do see in Hairspray. But, like, some of his movies are rated X, is my point. You know, some of his movies <laughs> I wouldn't watch with my family on the couch here. You know, not that I have a family like that, that I watch movies with on the couch. But theoretically, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's less kitschy gross out. He, like, really specialized in, like, gross out in, like, the 70s and 80s. Like, divine eating dog shit. So I think it's, his, you know what I mean? I think it's his yeah, exactly away from gross out into somebody somewhere gave him money to make this movie and he ran with it. So I think it was a nice marriage of trying to appeal to mainstream as much as possible by, while still being John Waters. Yeah, because this is like Pecker, that movie I mentioned. I wouldn't say that like that's a John Waters film. It is, but it's like. Whatever, you know, like this still feels like a John Waters film without, as you so eloquently put it, Divine eating dog shit, you know? (laughs) I love Divine. I love Divine. Divine, of course, as Edna Turnblad. The IMDb said something that was so offensive to me. It was like, it was like, oh, in honor of Divine's great performance, every uh, production of Hairspray ever since has had a man play Edna. Edna? Yeah, Edna. And I'm like, that's not why. They didn't cast John Travolta to honor Divine. You know what I mean? I mean, honestly, they they shouldn't. Because, like, Kathy Bates, at a certain point in time, could have eaten out on this role. You know? Like, no no one can do it like Divine. Honestly, they shouldn't. Because maybe by not trying to to capture lightning in a bottle, you could make it work. I think if you're going to remake Hairspray again, which please don't, it's been done too many times, but like we're in such a popular drag queen movement now that like a drag performer could probably do it. I don't want to see an A-list like man celebrity just step into the dress and be like, oh my God, I'm the mom. You know what I mean? Like that's not funny to me anymore. I'm sure it was funny to me as a kid. (laughs) Divine looked like a middle-aged mom 
as I love to, I love Divine getting slowly more glamorous and more progressive as the movie comes on. Like you see her, him. I looked up his pronouns. It's him. It is him. Not it is identical. him. Yeah. Yeah. You see him dressed up, like just or just dressed down in like stringy hair, a moo moo, and then as it like progresses. Edna just gets more glamorous. I love it. I love I love it, Brian. I really do. Divine's performance is amazing because of that. And so, like I said, we covered the Travolta one. And the character is a little different in a sense because the character doesn't come around until the end, I believe. You know, the whole time. It's like, don't do that. Don't do this Edna, as soon as Tracy starts getting famous, she starts buying in more and more. And, like, there's that scene at, like, the dress shop where yes. uh, where it's like oh throw in this and throw in that and can I have a dress oh, with it for me. yeah and yeah I love that because that to me that's more like the John Waters trash mentality you know like trash is yeah. I don't mean trash in a negative way I hope you know that you know oh you know I I know that <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair but <laughs> listeners out there like I, I hope you know like I'm not saying in a negative way I'm saying like I'm sorry if you're listening to a podcast about John Waters you already know what we mean when we're talking about trash you're 100% right trash is a compliment in this world oh yeah yeah so divine MVP just so good so and it's that you know he died like two weeks like into like the promo for this. So he like never got to reap the benefits of being like it's so subversive that John Waters was about to make Divine a legitimate Hollywood commodity. Like after toiling away and eating dog shit, like literal dog shit on film. It's like Divine, she like he almost did it. And then what I also like about that performance is that. There's a certain, there's an interesting juxtaposition of the high class racist trash of the Von Tussles and how the lower class couple of the Turnblads were happier, more open to change and were open to being wrong. And I really, I really sort of honed in on it on this rewatch because I knew I was going to do a podcast and I couldn't just like sing along and dance along. So I thought that that was a really interesting choice because John Waters does not like upper class people at all. Yeah. Like there's obviously race things here there's class things here and i know people love the musical i know people really liked the movie i'm really not here to shit on it but when i watch this one now i know you are okay but when i watch this one now i see that some of that a lot of that is lost in the newer versions it's too shiny yes like it's, it's just too like shiny and like sparkly and it definitely got toned down and it's definitely like they cast Hollywood people like there's no there's no Hollywood people in the original Hairspray you have musicians but you don't have Hollywood people no exactly right and like even the Hollywood people quote unquote or the musicians you're saying we'll talk about them they're not a-listers it's not John Travolta there's nothing shiny about this movie that's why I get I feel like John Waters fans like, this is usually a favorite of theirs, despite it not having dog shit eating moments, <laughs> because it still has the qualities of his film. And you're so right. This was the moment where John Waters is or was going to cross over into mainstream. And like, again, he sort of did. But you're right. With Divine in tow, who's in most of his I other know. movies. And it's like, and to lose to lose him so... I was very young when this came out, so I wasn't aware of it, but... Just to have him die, you're right, two weeks into the promotion of this film is so sad when you look back at it. 
I remember my mom telling me after wow. we watched, she's like, you know, he died. And it just like, it seems so unfair at the time. Cause I'm like, you know, when you're a kid, there are people who are celebrities to you that aren't actually like Tom Cruise to everyone else. That that's like the <laughs> movie for me. I'm like, what this famous person, something bad can happen to them. Like it's, I just saw it at such an integral part of my life that like, I genuinely think, like, to this day, I am that basic bitch with mid-century modern furniture in her home. I am 95% sure it's because of hairspray. Like, I watch that movie, and I'm like, I love the outfits. I love the hair. I get sad when Tracy irons her hair down. I'm like, but the bigger the hair, the closer to God. You don't understand, Brian. (laughs) I love it, though. I love it. I love that passion, and that's what makes things like a, a true... You know, not just cult classic, but a true classic, right? It's a classic. It's a classic, for sure. So Ricky Lake, we've talked about her a bunch. Ricky Lake show, whatever. This is her debut. She's so good in this. like So good. I, I was it's, shocked how good she was. Is it her debut? Because she was in Working Girl that same year. I don't know what came out first, but everywhere listed it as her debut. So maybe this one just debuted first, whatever. But Okay. Because remember, she's in the wedding scene and we're... Ricky Lake was the biggest celebrity to me. Like, do you know how people <laughs> love Mark Hamill? I love Ricky Lake the same way toxic people on Twitter love Mark Hamill. She can do no wrong. I love her. <laughs> you are you are uh, attacking the Star Wars fans a lot tonight. They just have it coming. They've had it good for too long. Because you know what? We don't get we don't get to see Michael St. Gerard and things, you know? <laughs> he's he's who played Link Larkin. Yes. They get to see everybody else all the time. I just, I love this movie. Now, Ricky, like, dances her ass off. She's amazing. Yes. And then quite literally, because I was reading the, the trivia for this film, that she was dancing so much that she kept losing weight that, like, to maintain the figure that they wanted for the film. I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just speaking the facts. That she was on, like, such a huge high-calorie diet. I just, all that movement and all that eating... And she said it was actually a very difficult shoot, and I can understand why. Well, yeah, it's her first shoot, too. So, like, she doesn't really – she's unseasoned. And I can't – I love John Waters. I think it's well established. I can't imagine that his set is, like, a normal set. I feel like his sets are probably held together with, like, duct tape and chewing gum because his budget has always been so low that he's used to doing it that way. So I think that – it's probably it's trial by fire if you work with John Waters. Hundred percent, and he loves to shoot in Baltimore. All his films are based in Baltimore, more or less. So it's not you know your Hollywood backlots that are accommodating to that. Um, Ricky Lake has said, "No, look, she's very thankful doing the movie, and she does the commentary on the DVD apparently, which I'd like to hear." But she said that Divine had a trailer and she didn't. So like. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is honestly when I think about it insane but also very John Waters oh for sure Divine was his friend Divine Div- let's okay Divine in character is a goddamn diva if you only have one trailer to give you give it to Divine if you have two trailers to give one to Divine one to Debbie Harry if you have three trailers to give Ricky Lake gets the third one <laughs> I'm just, I'm so fascinated with, like, the way they put this film together. And again, it wasn't a hit when it came out, like, in theaters. 
but it became a huge like video hit and rental hit and I you know that's how you saw it as well so that makes sense it's the perfect slumber party movie it has a really good message it has great music beautiful but accessible younger cast and he looks like Elvis. Link legitimately looks like Elvis to the point where if he were an actor today, he would have been cast in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie. It would have been no question. Did you watch that movie, by the way? I didn't. I need to get really fucked up to do it. And I just haven't had the amount of time and hangover days. I haven't seen it. I don't know if I can. Some people love it. But the people I trust said that even if you like it, it's not a breezy movie. You feel that movie, you know. It's a, it's two hours and a half, and it feels like two hours and a half. Not, not if you're more. wasted. <laughs> Time is quick when you're drunk. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil that movie, but I was just talking about it with someone tonight, and they were just like, "I was out by minute eight. Like I I couldn't do it anymore." <laughs> okay, but I'm hillbilly trash. I love it. And my, like, great-great-aunt wrote Heartbreak Hotel and introduced him to the colonel. So, like, Elvis... You know I went to Graceland on my 30th birthday. I know, I know. I know. But that's why... Kate, I'm sorry. I've seen it in the past. When you know things and like things, you usually hate the movie. Fair enough, yeah. (laughs) Unless it's so bad, it's going to be good. And I'm hoping Elvis is just so bad, it's good. Again, I don't know. I know... Well... We'll talk off air. That's all I'll say. But <laughs> this is not an Elvis podcast. But but singers, you mentioned them. And they were mentioned on the back of the VHS as well. Debbie Harry and Sonny Bono as the Von Tussle parents. They're the next people build. I love Debbie Harry. Love Debbie Harry. I think I saw Blondie in concert pre-pandemic, of course. But uh, she's great. And on par with this, because the films that Debbie Harry was in, like coming up, like that East Village, no wave cinema, were very much like John Waters esque style, you know. So it's like she's used to this kind of. She's mu- a punk. Yes, like she's a punk. Like Blondie was a punk band. Like she's used to that DIY. Debbie Harry is the coolest fucking chick that ever lived. Coolest. I love her. Can't say anything bad about her. Like she's cool as shit. I'm sure she was like cool as shit on the set. I never realized until today when I was just like googling hairspray that she's on. The opening song. Yeah, but she couldn't be credited because her record label would not let her. But it's like now that I hear that, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Debbie Harry saying, can't you see? I'm spraying my hair. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that movie. And I think Sonny Bono, like, was he in Congress at the time of this movie? If he wasn't in Congress, he was like mayor of Palm Springs or something like that. Or close, right? I, I got to look that up. But it's around that era. Yeah, 1988, he was elected mayor of Palm Springs. So right when he's starting his political career. What is so subversive about this and why it could never be made today is that no fucking star would, one, agree to be a racist on screen, like, two, agree to be so unlikable, and three, be in a movie that was so DIY. It just, it would not happen. No, I don't think so. I really don't think so. And you have to, like, Sonny Bono... I don't know why he agreed to be in this movie, but he fits perfectly. He's so good. He's so, so good in this role. And again, Debbie Harry as well. If you think of just like, again, like Debbie Harry as that punk, like she, she's just eating this up. And I don't know, like Sonny Bono is so much the opposite that I think he's eating it up too as well. Because like, oh, yeah. you know, like his image is like so polished. And he's probably like, fuck, I want to do this. So, and, and they're so good at it. 
They're so and then the then you have the counterpoint divine and uh Jerry Stiller. I I love I love the nitpicking divine does on Tracy like being too fat and Jerry Stiller is always like she's a growing girl Edna. Yeah. She looks beautiful. Like he never lets her be toxic to their daughter and I I love that. They are just so just kind, deeply supportive people. They're just like the ideal parents. 100%. And I think that like if a young person is listening today, maybe not too young because they might not even know who Jerry Stiller is, but I would say most of our audience probably, the Seinfeld thing on the back of the box is apt or, you know, maybe stuff like King of Queens or being Ben Stiller's dad or whatever. But that's like mainstream Jerry Stiller. Like if you know the Jerry Stiller history and Jerry Stiller comedy, he's definitely not a mainstream comic. He's definitely not like a super cool person to be, like mainstream Hollywood is not bragging about hanging out with Jerry Stiller, right? Like Jerry Stiller is definitely uh, what we would call today like an alt comic, you know? Not today's alt comic, but someone who would fit in the John Waters world here. Someone where it's not crazy. Someone who probably was in the John yeah, Waters Yeah, let's be world. honest, right? <laughs> <laughs> what I love about John Waters is that he collects weirdos as friends. And like, I do that too. Like, I, I like. <laughs> It is weird for me to talk about this because I'm starting, like, truly, this man has shaped my life. Like, I collect weirdos. I think weirdos are the most interesting people. Like, if you brought, like, a pet bird on a leash to a party, I'm going to spend all night with you. I don't give a <laughs> shit about anything else. I want to hear all about your life. I really think that's probably his influence. Like, he sees the beauty in the in societal rejects. Like, he made a movie about a fat girl getting the hot guy and ending segregation on a regional dance show. Like, what about that isn't, like, subversive and not mainstream? 100%. And it's not... It's weird because this movie is political, but it's not, like, in your face political. Oh, I don't know how to put it because it is in your face because it is, like, directly t- but, telling you these things. But we have, to, we have to watch it, but he didn't center the white people as the heroes. It really feels more like the white people are the bad guys... And somebody who ne- who isn't coming from a pa- place of privilege, it was easier for them to empathize. And because they lucked into a platform, they were able to help someone do something about it. Yeah, and it's hard for me. Like, I was trying to think of, like, this film in a lens of what would someone say against it, right? Like, does it have a white savior narrative? A little bit, but not, not to... Again, I, I'm not... You and I are not the ones who should be you know, making this determination, probably not. But it for me, it doesn't feel like that. It is exactly what you said. It's like someone else who is marginalized here. But she's so positive as well. I don't feel icky when I see this. It's Well, you can tell that I don't know a lot about John Waters' background, but I have a feeling he probably grew up lower middle class. And you can tell that that's where he's most comfortable. And that's where, that's Tracy, right? It was it was easier to draw the parallels between how and they were treating black people in Baltimore with Tracy. And it's funny because Motormouth Maybell, she probably has a lot more money than the Turnblads. Like she is she's like she seems like to be a celebrity on the black side of Baltimore. And like her dresses are fancy. Like she always looks put together, not like the Turnblads. Yeah, no, honestly. Wait, there was some what was this actor I was gonna mention? I probably know their name. Oh, what what's character? the Penny? Like, I wasn't familiar with that actor, but I thought she it's did a great Leslie job. Warren. 
Okay, so Leslie Ann Warren disappeared for years, and she finally resurfaced a few years ago. Really? Um, I think she's just living her best life. Wait, that's not Leslie Ann Warren. Sorry. I got really excited. It says Leslie Ann Powers? Okay, I knew it was Leslie Ann. Oh, but she did resurface a couple years ago. She did. So she, like, they were doing, like, hairspray and like, I think Atlanta. And Ricky Lake was there and she just popped up and everyone has been trying to find her for years. Really? Because I think she's yeah. so good in this role. It's it's a role played by Amanda Bynes in the, the film. But uh, the Penny character has always been one that I've enjoyed. I don't know why. She feels like she's someone... You are positively, permanently punished. It's so funny. <laughs> because she doesn't play it with any sort of guile like it's just like this is her reality and she doesn't play it like wink wink nudge nudge like I feel like Amanda Bynes did because Amanda Bynes has been an actor since she was a baby like it's clear that our penny was just a rando off the street like she played it straight and that's why she was so good the biggest shock to me though was that uh, Amber Van, Von Tussel is played by vitamin C? vitamin C yeah it was like Colleen Fitzpatrick I clicked the Wikipedia I'm like, why is it going to Vitamin C's page? I did not realize that was the same person. And you know, she was in Dracula 2000 with my boyfriend, Gerard Butler. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, you, you yeah. actually, you told me that once on Twitter when I posted something about Vitamin C. <laughs> oh, well, that's, I have my greatest hits. And, you know, did you see Josh Charles? No, Josh Charles. Josh Charles is Iggy. So he's one of the dancers on the Corny Collins show. Like, he's in, like, almost every scene. Like, he... And at the end, he's the one who unzips his pants to get the bugs out while they're playing. Oh, wow. That song. That's crazy. And then if you like Crybaby, um, Lenore, the one who's always trying to sleep with Crybaby, she's in Hairspray as the girl who puts the falsies in. It's one of my favorite bits. Yeah, when there's he- a lot of uh, people in Crybaby. Yeah. I noticed that. Oh, yeah. Like um, Pinky. Yeah. Crybaby and Hairspray are really sort of like. If you're going to do a double feature, you got to do Hairspray and Crybaby. Well, we do have a question about that later, so maybe. Oh, no, I'm not going to. I'm not. Listen, I'm not going to go for the obvious choices here, and I'm not going to go for <laughs> I'm not allowed to. <laughs> Good. And I'll remind you of it later. And then uh, a couple other people I want to mention, or I did want to mention Ruth Brown, who was Motormouth Maybell. Uh, so good in this. But you know what's always bugged me, though, about Ruth in this movie? She's like 60, and little Inez is like eight. There's no way that's her kid. It's the same thing <laughs> with the heavenly kid. Like, sometimes I do the math, and I'm like, there's no way this works out. No, but again, in this world, I wasn't as concerned. <laughs> you know, in, in other movies, maybe, but in this world, a lot of people are like caricatures. So, whatever. <laughs> It didn't bother me, is my point. I'm sure there's people we missed in this cast. It's a really good cast. It's a really talented cast. But really want to talk about what are some of your favorite scenes. Don't say all of them. This isn't a musical, which is cool, but it's got great music. And it's and he doesn't go for, like, the A-list 60s, early 60s hits. Boys and girls, stay on the dance floor. Here comes the hottest tune of the day. And it started right here in Baltimore. <laughs> And where did you see it first, kids? The Corny Collins Show! A big, strong line, ladies and gentlemen. It's Madison time! 
about John Waters like if you guys can ever track down his Christmas um compilation of like early 60s what? like D-list hits yeah dude like he just picks the best music and it's like if Steven Spielberg or Martin Scorsese were doing this they're gonna pick like the number one hits right like you're gonna get Be My Baby not John Waters he's gonna pick I Wish I Was a Princess which is probably some like Baltimore like songstress and i love that song well kate this is something that fascinated me so much on this watch i'm like did john waters invent these songs and invent these dances because i never heard of them but no but you didn't know the mashed potatoes no, the mashed potato that one i knew but there was other ones that were like like that can't be real but they're all real i was reading an article oh. about it and he like purposely tried to find things he remembered and like super obscure ones there's a couple ones that were cut from the film i don't know if you read that one was like, literally, it was called something like "Do the Stupid," and he cut it because because it was so stupid. <laughs> Which, if John Waters is doing that, you know it must be stupid. Yeah, it's real dumb. But, but if you think of like how good they're dancing, especially like again, Ricky Lake here, busting moves and killing it, and again, everyone else too. D- don't get me wrong, but obviously they focus a lot on her and having to learn these obscure, corny ass dances from. I'm sorry sort of corny ass era in the early 60s i love it i love it and i don't mean corny in a bad way it's called the corny collins show that was his name yes but obviously he's naming him that because of the cheesiness of the era as well brian i'm not kidding it's my favorite era of music i have an album by this lady called diane renee and it's all songs about being in love and trying to fuck people in the army I'm not kidding. She has a song called Blue Navy Blue. She has, oh my God, it's so good. Nice. <laughs> I swear to God, John Waters shaped me. I, I get it because the like the dancing's good. The the aesthetic is good. And like the hair, it's called hairspray for a reason. It's so exaggerated, but not in a way that's like a not like a cartoon like there are people who had hair like this so it's not crazy you know what i mean most people's grandmas had hair like that like the bigger the hair the close the closer to god truly like when my <laughs> grandma died at 91 she was still getting her hair done once a week and it was teased up and i swear to god it was at least five inches off her head that's hilarious it's i just i love big hair to this day so one point of the movie as i look at my notes that i was afraid was going to turn to John Waters for my taste was when Amber has a pimple and she's like... Ew, I, I never watched that scene. Like, she's about to pop it, but you don't see, like, the pus come out. And thank God, because I was... I hate that. I know some people, like, find relief in that. It's, like, a popular channel Ew. on wow. YouTube. Not me. Ew. But nope. once I saw that we didn't see the, like, literally, like, pus, I was like, oh, okay, so we're not going there. All right. <laughs> you get a gross... You get a gross sound, like, whoop, yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's I, I never watch it. My mom never let like my mom always closed her eyes during that too. <laughs> All right, Kate. This is the most influential film 
in your life. So anyone who's ever been like, I don't know about that, Kate Hudson. This might be the reason. So, Kate, why is it the reason? What what are some of your favorite scenes here? Okay, well, my first favorite scene is in the beginning during the first dance when Ming stole like falsies and the girl's dancing and she's like, no, but it, like we saw her, you know, put a bra <laughs> oh God. And then with the next scene, I, I'm going to just list them all. It's like, I'm trying to iron in here. <laughs> and every time, even to this day, if I change my hair, my mom will call me a hair hopper. She's like, you're a hair hopper. Your mom got into it then. Oh, my mom is, my mom loved this movie too like she loves john waters that's awesome yeah no she's like i think she rented us i think she let jenny my babysitter rent this movie because she had already seen it okay that's fine for my six-year-old daughter why not that's awesome though like it made you the person you are today so really did. okay if i had to pick a favorite scene i really like tracy's first dance where you're seeing her family watch her on mono like the sound is on mono and then when you're in the studio it flips to stereo i really really like what he does there it's one of my it's i love that i love it when she's flashing a ring after um she decides to go steady with link yeah so let's talk a little bit about like that first scene and just again just how it relates to link larkin her being picked what, what is it like the auto show queen i mean that happens at the end but like the lead up to that, I just love this like <laughs> this insulated Baltimore being not a small city, but like you know not New York, not L.A., not Chicago, but like it's like an insulated world here where it's realistic to think that in 1963 the highest honor of a young woman could have been an auto show queen, you know, and they're not saying it with yeah. any kind of sarcasm. This is something that they really want to be. There's a is genuineness a word? I'm sure it's not. Well, I, I think it's a lack of guile. I looked up the word guile the other day and it really <laughs> applies there. Like, you know, like a lack of just like, it's straightforward, earnest, honest, and there's no bullshit. Like, hi- there's no hipster sarcasm in this movie. No. I hate sarcasm. I, I hate hipster irony bullshit. Like, there's things that one, if I explained it in today's view of comedy, that people would think that I'm saying... That it was ironic. I know it was a long way to say what I was about to say. But it's when you watch it, there's a sincerity to this that is really, really nice. And just the chase for this. And when all the guys are lined up, and they have real young people, which is nice, right? Yeah, for ladies' choice. For ladies' choice. at home for being like, fat, phobic, and awful. Yeah. And um, Tracy's just walking and walking past each guy, and they're all looking at her to get, to get picked themselves. I, I love that moment, you know? And when she goes, she better hadn't dare. I love the way she says that. Because she takes her boyfriend. And he goes willingly. Because remember, she danced with uh, the other guy. Yeah. And they like thought that, that was going to be like, he thought he was going to get picked. And that he was with the rising new star. But like, if there is a guy who looks like young Elvis, you're always going to want to try to like <laughs> get with a guy who looks like young Elvis. That's just fact. Tracy's just so badass. While being the nicest person in the world. And I think that's so cool. She has so much confidence. I like, I would never, like, I am chaos incarnate sometimes, but I don't think I would have the brass ovaries to go to like a hop and get between the two famous couple, like dancing and like show off and flirt. Like that, I just don't think I have that in me. And she does. She does. It's hard to quantify 
this Tracy again versus other Tracys, which I'm not dissing future performances, but it just definitely feels like a different character. The other films feels like she's a racial crusader and feels like there's just a different twinge to theater kid because she's a theater kid. They cast theater kid and like that's theater kids. They are earnest to the point where everyone's sick of them by like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? God bless the theater kids in our life. Like I, I love my theater kid friends, but I know what you're saying. They're just like it's just like, gee, Willikers. And you're just like, that's not how <laughs> that's not realistically how our lower middle class team would act. But you can see the reason why she's so nice, kind, and confident is because her parents are great parents. Yeah, no, really. And you see the same with, uh, you see the opposite with Amber, right? Oh, Amber's such a little shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just a, a little shit. Yes, Daddy? Let's talk about the race things here, because this was actually based on John Waters' recollection of Baltimore at the time in a, in a show that used to air before American Bandstand in Baltimore that they ended up canceling. The actual show refused to integrate, and it was canceled because of that and john waters uh, you know he was influenced by that a lot so he kind of uh you know evolved a story around it i'm not saying that you know the black people are depicted perfectly in this you know i'm sure if they were going to remake it again a black writer would be nice for this part but i'm so happy that it pointed out something that i don't even know that mainstream america was talking about in the 80s of how much of american culture is pirated from minorities and specifically the, oh, the yeah. black community specifically the specific music that they're talking about and the dances that they're talking about here i would imagine and again i don't know if this to be the case because i'm not old enough i would imagine that this is one of the earliest things to really point that out in a mainstream capacity because i only remember that dialogue happening in the last couple you know the last decade or whatever right like it was something on this watch that i was very impressed by yeah, and like, and they get into it like really early too. Like, when Amber comes in and Debbie Harry's like, "Did you have to pick colored music? What about Shelley Fabre?" <laughs> and she's like, "It's good to dance to." Is her response? It's it's really really interesting, and how Motormouth Maybell points out they'll play the music, but you can't go dance to it. And specifically, this is a movie too that depicts. It's, it sounds so archaic now to say like an interracial relationship because for the 60s it was certainly subversive well let's be honest kate think of the worlds you and i grew up in it was subversive till quite recently it, it still is i mean there are assholes who want to take us back to the 50s right now oh did like, did not i'm sorry to alienate a lot of our listeners but did not someone win presidency with the slogan make america great again as if that past was great if you are someone who voted for trump and are listening to a podcast about john waters <laughs> fight you because you probably like stranger things i want to talk to you i want to talk to you don't link those two things but <laughs> all i'm trying to do is congratulate this movie for putting it on screen and yes, while it's a plot line here, it is not a heavy-handed... Like, they're making fun of the mom for being for when she goes around the black neighborhood of Baltimore <laughs> and is scared of everything. Part. Okay, that was my favorite part. Buy me a taste. Somebody, please, help me. 
So on this show, let's let me sixteen candles, right? Molly, oh yeah, Molly Ringwald. Like, there's a couple jokes there that are super like. Oh, it's, it's, you would date a black guy, you know what I mean? And it's like pink guy, black yeah. car. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay, good point. Good point. And that's more my point. Like, most media was still making it like, oh my god, moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, I think that's where you know being an openly gay man mm. i just think john waters probably has always felt like an outsider and i think he meet he makes outsider movies and i think that it's the perfect sort of congruence that you know who's who's the outsider is everyone who's not a straight white male or a straight white female so i think that he, with that sort of point of view that it's you're not going to punch down you're not going to make people the butt of the joke when there's ample humor other places and that's a that's a really good point you know to be an openly gay man in the 80s and before that of course but in 1988 yeah that's not an easy you know way to operate around hollywood or anywhere sure there was plenty of gay people in hollywood back then but openly gay unashamed gay that it's a huge part of most of your films right well, and also keep in mind, this is the late 80s. Everybody thought AIDS was just like, AIDS was terrifying. And it was primarily a gay man's disease. Like fucking Reagan let his friend Rock Hudson die because he wouldn't intervene because he didn't want to be associated with it. So to be openly gay in the 80s also comes with that connotation as well. So you're totally right that like the way he highlights outsiders is amazing. But also... You you made a really great point in terms of just like the human parts of the story because even as shitty as Amber is, I don't know. Like there's something you see where it comes from. Yes, you, you see, see where, where it comes, comes from. from. Perfect. Perfect. It didn't come from nowhere. He 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 clearly makes the case she's shitty because her parents are shitty and her parents are shitty because about money, which feels very 2022. A hundred percent. And and I think the juxtaposition here that I'm tr- like I'm struggling with finding the word for is that like visually it's a lot of caricature, but like humanly, like who these characters are is not caricature. It's rather genuine. And I love that about it. And it's a quality to that I don't think a lot of movies today have. Everything is so, you know, in your face and a lot of it is good. I'm not saying it's it's bad, but it definitely feels it doesn't have this genuine quality that 1988's Hairspray does, if that, if that makes any sense. No, it does, because I fucking hate irony, snarky bullshit. Like, I hate it. It's like, it's, I'm allergic to it. So, like, <laughs> yeah, at some point, being sincere was decided uncool. And it's much easier to, like, have, try to convey emotions if there's always the hedging your bets, like, huh. I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't believe that. And that's what I, like John Waters doesn't ever wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the camera. 
Like it's very much like straightforward. This is sincerity, but it's trashy, kitschy sincerity, which honestly I is how I would describe my own personality. I was going to say, Kate, like if you were a text message, you're not putting ha ha at the end of it. You're just saying it. And I appreciate that. Never, never. <laughs> I fucking hate it. Like my friends, my friends will say I live in the gloaming. Like I live in that part of like the world, like that, you know, is chaotic. And, you know, maybe, maybe there's some fairy circles where you shouldn't eat, you know, the meat or the fruit offered to you. But like, I'm never going to be like, psych, you like that? Fuck you. You know? <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, overall in the film, in terms of, again, that segregation plot, I think it is also very poignant today when we look back at nostalgia glasses at certain eras. We've covered a couple movies like this and even some recently. Some good and some not good, but regardless, that'll be like, hey, remember the 50s? Remember the 60s? Remember the 70s? Like that TV show you watched about it? It wasn't all that, right? Like, this shit was still going on. The, The dream of 1962 of what you think about is not the real dream. The greatness of America wasn't that great. And cities like Baltimore were, most cities, but cities like Baltimore were heavily segregated and people were pirating uh, other cultures and using them and like it was a really really shitty time and I know this movie has a lot of positive fun with it but it's awesome that it's able to be positive and also depict the shittiness that was happening at that time I agree I I, a thousand percent agree and I think it's because it's coming from an outsider perspective and not a straight white male perspective which to this day most movies are still written directed produced produced it (laughs) and like greenlit by straight white men and what i really liked about hairsprays too and i I caught it on this time is they don't really talk about the politics as well like i think it's like we're in 2022 and everyone's on twitter and everyone's following this bullshit or at least the people in my circle but i don't think a lot of people are that in tuned to politics i don't say that as like some like obnoxious liberal elite talking point like oh wow well i'm you know what i mean (laughs) so i think like your average person probably doesn't have the luxury to be online as much as i do what i liked about it was uh in the beginning it's uh edna is like oh no is something happening in cuba and that's the extent of what you hear about like the political turmoil as well because ultimately this is a very local story and yes very locally you know, these are problems that are happening in a lot of places, but he makes Baltimore, this Baltimore happening such a... The epicenter. The epicenter of it, and such a character here. And to these people who are... What, how is Tracy... Is it Tracy who described once as upper lower class? Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I love that designation. I think it's a lo- wait, it was a... Lo- upper lower class or lower upper class? One of the two. I think yeah. it's upper lower class. Like Yeah. By the by, the governor of Maryland. Yeah, and I, I, I love that. But if you're in the class that they're talking about here, black, white, whatever, your problems are very much hyper localized. So it totally makes sense that like this moral war that they're waging here is not like a, they're not like desegregate America. They're like desegregate the Corny Collins show. You know, and that yeah. makes total sense here. 
There's like a real beautiful nature to it. The reason they're doing it is like for for fun. Like, okay, so this is depicted in the musical as well, but in a very different way. And by the way, they never, Negro Day, and again, that's the words they use, is never. I know, I feel, are you cringing internally when you're quoting it or using the words they use? Because I'm dying inside a little bit. Just full disclosure, like, I know this is not the correct terminology. Yes, I'm doing air quotes like people could see. (laughs) <laughs> but yes right? like, yeah they they call it negro day and that's the day that the black people are allowed to dance on the corny collins show this is never depicted in any hairspray adaptation including this one however first she's tracy's banished to the um special education class because of her hair. Because she's a hair hopper. Because she's a hair Your hopper. Your hair do is a hair don't. And it's, I don't think it's called the special education class in the musical. Because it's like, you know, more modern. They, they don't want to go there. But it's interesting at the time that it's essentially just a class of people who don't fit in. It doesn't have anything to do with their intelligence or learning abilities, it seems. Like, it's just people who, the school deems, that, do, that don't fit in. Um, that's where, yeah, and she meets... It's a. She meets seaweed. Seaweed and I forgot the hit the sister's name, but they are the children. Little Inez. Yes. He, she doesn't meet Little Inez until seaweed takes her to Motormouth Maybell's record shop. Yes. Which but, is hot. But seaweed is Motormouth Maybell's son. Yes. So yeah, so that that's kind of like their gateway into the, you know, I guess the, how the film depicts the black culture of Baltimore. This isn't the wire guys. Don't expect that. Do you know what I like about it is when he meets her and she's like, he's like, where'd you learn to dance like that? She's like, I learned to dance by watching Negro Day on the Corny Collins show. Yeah. And that, again, that's a direct acknowledgement of like, exactly. who brought this culture here? I don't think a lot of movies in 1988 were acknowledging that as my point. Well, and even in 2022, if, if they are acknowledging it, it, they do it in such a way where like they want the person acknowledging it wants the acknowledgement that they're acknowledging it. Yeah. Like there's a beat or a pause, like in those Marvel movies when fucking Thor shows up and you're supposed to clap. Like, there will be a beat because the white guy is very proud of himself that he has acknowledged cultural appropriation. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> like and John Waters doesn't do that. Like, he will wink, wink. Like, he will acknowledge certain things, like the trash kitsch things. Because, but, like, the things that should just be natural and part of society, he doesn't call out. He just integrates into the story. And I'm feeling good the entire time, too. Like, there's no guilt about it either, which is nice, right? Like, this is a fun, uplifting story. It's a sincere movie. And that's that was fundamentally the problem I had with... The, the remake, the the actual musical. If you're going to make kitsch, if you're going to make trash, you can't do it with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience. Like John Waters, God bless him, loves trash. Like that man loves it. So do I. So like <laughs> it's straightforward. But like Hairspray was the, the 2007 was made by people who don't love trash. And it shows they made things shiny. They made things self-aware. Like, they, they didn't let the story breathe. What do you think, then, about the line with Tracy and, and Link? They're looking at each other, oh, and they say... <laughs> our souls are black. Yeah, our souls are black, even though our skin... Is white. Link, 
This is so romantic. I wish... I wish I was dark-skinned. Tracy, our souls are black, even though our skin is white. I love that scene, and I'll tell you why. Because they're making out in, like, a back alley with rats scurrying around and a homeless man singing the song. I think he's clutching a bottle of alcohol while they're making out. And they're like, oh, this is so romantic. And the reason why I like it is that is clearly something a suburban, not a suburban, but a, a, a clueless white teenager would say, right? Like, it's just something that I think it really encapsulated the teenageness of it all. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand that. And that's how I took the quote as well. I took it definitely more camp than serious, yeah. right? <laughs> um I could see how people today watching it would find that to be a controversial point of the movie and a talking point, but but I'm with you. But but it's preceded by them going, oh, this is so romantic. When you're literally seeing rats scurry across the alley and they're making out amongst the trash. So I think he provides enough context clues. It is what it is. Like this is what teenagers who think they're changing the world, and to some extent they are, would think without understanding and processing the lived experiences of the people that they want to emulate. So, so relatedly, what do you make of the subsequent beatnik scene when they're sort of sa- <laughs> saved by these two beatniks reading Kerouac? Like, hi, cats. Sit down. You got the bus chasing you? No, we... <sighs> You guys are real beatniks. Just like New York. Daylights are coming and you want to go home. You two checkerboard chicks. What? You know, black and white, salt and pepper. Well, yes. I'm a checkerboard chick, I guess. Whoa. Whoa. I'm an integrationist. We shall overcome someday. Not with that hair, you won't. You look like a hair hopper to me. I mean, your hair is really uncool. How do you get your hair so straight and and so flat? With an iron, man. I play my bongos, listen to Odetta, and then I iron my hair, dig? I think we better get going now. The coast looks clear. Let's do some reefer. We'll get high and I'll iron the chick's hair. Reefer? Drugs? Loco weed. When I'm high, I am Odetta. Let's get naked and smoke. Cool. Don't breathe it in. You'll be addicted. The latest is the later. Much later. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves. I love it because they're so scared of drugs. They're so scared of pot. It's amazing. All four of them. I think it's a really great scene that he clearly just put in there because he really wanted Pia Zadora in the movie to show that these kids at heart are still kids without a lot of life experience. So I definitely took that from it too. But then maybe I'm reading it to 2022, but 
to me, I see these as like almost Brooklyn gentrifiers. Yeah, absolutely. Like, right. Like they also think they have the answers because they knew that they know the new shit. And I think the kids being afraid of drugs and thinking also that they're cutting edge with their higher styles, seeing like beatniks who are going to influence hippies and going to influence that thing. But also these, like, again, like these two white people who are living in a black neighborhood who think they also have all the answers. I love when she says, let's get naked and smoke. But anyway, but, like, that's, <laughs> but it's like also, I think that's making fun of that too. So I don't know. I, I thought the whole scene was genius. It's so good. I have a feeling we're probably ascribing more meaning to it than he intended. I think he really just wanted to put Piazzadora in it. I think yes and no. But I do believe that, like, like even when artists are super specific about their intention in that moment, I think there are universal truths that they don't... Because, you know, John Waters can't predict the future, right? Or can he? Maybe he can. I don't know. I think there's a truth <laughs> that has lasted until today about like he might not even have even known i'm gonna give him credit and say he did but he might not have even known why these people in this area would be funny but it's still funny today because this is still this sort of sarcastic so i guess ironic is a better word for ironic person that we've been talking about here it's a different kind of humor but it's like they filled that niche the beatnik here reading kerouac oh for sure you notice she irons her hair at the end yeah, because that's like the next wave of shit. Like I don't know. It's so it's so uh, it's so cool. <laughs> I'll say. I love it. I just love that whole aesthetic. I can watch girls in white lipstick act like assholes my entire life, and I can be happy. <laughs> so the ending. Were you, did you like? I'm assuming you did because you like everything about this movie. But what did you think of the ending? I love the ending when she comes in in her roach dress, and then Amber refuses to leave, and Debbie's hair blows up. That is John Waters at his finest. Nobody could come up with that ending but John Waters. Did you read that there's like a deleted scene where she she actually, the roaches get put in her hair? And like, that's where this comes from? I mean, there was a whole, I remember growing up back then that my mom, like I used to love beehive hairdo. She's like, no, those are filthy and disgusting bugs get in there. <laughs> it, it was like one of those things that like, people just thought would happen maybe i don't know but it's played so well and that roach would you buy that roach dress i wouldn't and i'll tell you why <laughs> for the very specific reason and i think longtime listeners i'm sure i've talked about this i lived in a very roach infested apartment in <laughs> los angeles my landlord refused to do anything about and i'm very clean like i you know i know what roaches look like when they fornicate brian because oof, of that apartment oof. so butt to butt friends butt to butt so no, I would not. Every other outfit, yes. That one, I'm going to give a heart. <laughs> not a roach fan. <laughs> I fucking hate roaches. They're filthy. I know what a roach infestation smells like because of my next door neighbor. Wow. Musty. Ew. Musty. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I, I have hives. I have nightmares about roaches. Look, I, I live in New York. I've seen my fair share of roaches. I don't know what infestation smells like and i've never seen them make love so you got me beat they, they don't make love they fornicate <laughs> roaches fuck uh they'll be here much longer than we'll be here on this planet so not the ones i've killed <laughs> Fair. honestly i got to the point like that how i met your mother episode i would kill them with my bare hands because if i didn't they would scurry away i it, i was infested oof <laughs> And I was clean. I need people to know I was clean. It was my next door neighbor who ran an illegal bakery out of her kitchen that refused to do anything. And because we shared a wall, they would come into mine. 
your anti-roach. Anything else in the film you want to mention or should we get to our awards? I'm thinking, I mean, I could honestly talk about this movie all night. We've already been talking about it for an hour and a half and the movie itself is only an hour. (laughs) True. I will say that I always feel a little tinge. I love, I love the hair in it. I, there's, I love the hair in this. I always get a little sad when Tracy adds the blonde highlights because I like her just dark, big bouffant, and I get really sad when she irons it. So that's a deleted scene too with the with the blonde highlights. Are you aware of this? I am. I am. I I don't think it would have worked. So this, like the scene is that she goes and trashes Amber's house and then gets her blonde highlights before she goes to I think the audition. Yeah, and it it doesn't work with her nice girl. No, it works with her whole. If you're gonna treat me like trash, I'm gonna act like trash thing which i don't think works for the character i agree i agree uh it's better without it i think this like 90 minute runtime is perfect and if i didn't know about all these deleted scenes i wouldn't even have questions about where things came from right like there was nothing in here like wait a minute how did this appear right like it all made sense anyway so i think there were good cuts whoever decided to make them. john waters one i love you two please release the director's cut of hairspray. <laughs> John, if you're listening, please do. John, if you're listening, you are amazing and I love you. Thank you. <laughs> um, on a, the episode before this, my friend Kyle was on and he met both Ricky Lake and John Waters at separate instances. Aww. So I had him tell the story. So guys, listen to that if you want the full story. Listen to our Dirty Dancing episode, which aired before this. Really quickly, I'll tell you, Kate. So Ricky Lake was just like, he was working on, he, he used to work for Top Chef. And he was in the okay. Bahamas and Ricky Lake was just there gambling at a blackjack table. Not that big of a deal, but they were gambling together, which it's kind of cool, but. I die inside. <laughs> I don't I don't get starstruck, but Ricky Lake, I'd be like, do you want a kidney? Mine, <laughs> I'll get you one, Ricky, I love you. And the John Waters one and. I'll have to listen back and see the exact quote, but um, when he was in college, John Waters was speaking at his college, and he brought him um, a crybaby DVD to sign, and he had like cooked up with a girl the night before, and she gave him a hickey, and while while John Waters was signing it, he got he looked at the hickey, and was like, "Ooh, where's that from?" and was like very interested in it. Because <laughs> it's so trashy. <laughs> exactly. I get a DVD signed by John Waters with a hickey. I would have the exact same reaction. I'd want to hear it. <laughs> so he said it was like a really cool experience there. But again, hear the full stories on that episode. But yeah. I had a friend who worked who was a producer on Ricky's show. Oh, really? That's cool. Oh, my God. I used to mine her for Ricky Lake stories. She's like, nobody loves Ricky Lake as much as you, Kate. And probably not even Ricky Lake. <laughs> All right, let's get to our awards then, because we've talked the sequels already. We've talked a lot of Hairspray. Oh, never enough. (laughs) Who was this movie made for? Me. Six-year-old me in Anchorage, Alaska. (laughs) Six-year-old you. (laughs) Most likely to succeed. Which character won the movie? Oh, Tracy. Come on. Easy one. Probably Edna, too. I think we all win if they integrate, though, so it's... I think we all win. Yes, we all win with integration. I think we're both pro-integration on this show. <laughs> yes, I didn't even realize, like I said, I didn't even realize what this movie was about until I was in my 20s. Because it's so, like, baked into my DNA. <laughs> That's awesome. Wooderson Award, is there a character in the background who you would have liked to have seen more of? Motormouth Maybell. Yeah, I agree with that. She's awesome. I'd watch a whole movie about her. I'd say, like, the uh, the black kids and the black side of town in general, I would have taken a more 50-50 movie. 
Seaweed, seaweed and little lioness. Yeah. Uh, Long Duck Dong Award is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Would you delete anyone from the film? No. Would you? No. Um, no. I think I think that, like I said, the 90 minutes works perfectly. I think the musical's over two hours, which, of course, because yeah. of the music. Uh, we get more of the... We didn't talk about like how her dad runs a joke shop, essentially. The hearty har har. Yeah. We get more of that in the, uh, the musical. Christopher Walken plays him. <laughs> um, I just remember John Travolta was in a really bad fat suit and just looked grotesque. Not because of the weight, just because of the fat suit, like, just made him uncanny valley. Yeah, it did look very uncanny valley. That's a good word for it. Cameron Fry Ward. Anyone look too old to be a high schooler? I love Link, but he probably was. Yeah, I would say Link because, like I said, in that scene where she sees all the guys, most of them look like teenagers. But he looks like an older guy. But I'll have to say, like, I remember in high school, the dudes who looked the oldest got all the girls. So that makes sense. They were just, no boys looked like Link Larkin in my high school. <laughs> like, those boys are one in a like million and they go to Hollywood. <laughs> Fair. Oh, but he was also like, okay, he was born in 61. So that boy is also 27 years old. Okay, so. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, Kate, we're going to grade the film. We are supposed to do a traditional A plus to F grading system here in High School Slumber Party. So I'm going to hand you the manila card, the red pen. But before that, Mm. let's hit up the cheat sheet. Rotten Tomatoes. The critics actually loved this movie. 98%. The audience, though. 78%, 78%, which I'm like, okay. Because it's fucking theater kids who tried to watch the original <laughs> and there weren't goddamn songs about Baltimore. <laughs> we know this. 3.6 out of 5 from the nerds on Letterboxd. But Kate, let's throw it yeah. out. What's your grade for Hairspray? I'm going to give it a baker's dozens of eclairs from Hefty's Hideaways. My highest, my highest rating. <laughs> that translates to an A+, plus, I believe. Glad to hear. I don't think I've ever done the actual rating system for this movie. No, but I'm just like, you really like this movie. I'm giving it a solid A. Honestly, and I didn't expect that. I expect to like it. I didn't expect on this watch for me to enjoy it this much, but I really, really did. So good grades overall. Congratulations, congratulations, Mr. Waters. Not that you need it from us, but we're going to give it to I you. Love I love you, John Waters. Sleeping bag, Kate. A lot of visual imagery in this film that's memorable, right? So 1988's Hairspray, you and I were having our sleepover, we're having our slumber party. What does your custom Hairspray sleeping bag look like? It's going to be the little car that Amber oh, Bunn hustled yeah. in the car show. It's going to be it's going to be the car, and I'm going to sleep in the car. I like that. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> that's a good one. So many great choices, but I know you're not going to like this one. But I, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the print of the roach dress because I just do, I do like the print. It's okay. I'm in my little car. I don't have to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Kate, and no Con Air, but you and I Ugh. were in the random blockbuster that has every film that has ever existed. But Con Airs are rented out. Every Gerard Butler movie is rented out. What? Maybe you never returned. Then we're going to video video on Muldoon Boulevard. (laughs) No, no, no. We are the magical blockbuster. Uh, (laughs) We know we're renting 1988's Hairspray, but we get to the counter. We see a sign that says rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Kate, 
I'll hold our place in line. Go to the back, get two other movies that we'll watch with Hairspray on our slumber party. What two other movies are you selecting? Okay, I'm going to rent the only two movies from my favorite genre of all time, which is Nobody Breaks Onto a Teen Dance Show and then becomes the hit star of the teen dance show. So we're going to rent <laughs> the 1984 classic Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Nice. Starring Michelle Geller and Helen Hunt. And then we're also going to rent the 1988 cult, I'm not going to call it a classic, movie called The In Crowd starring Donovan Leach, which is also about a 1960s TV dance show. Oh, wow. Both teen movies? Yes. And they used to play The In Crowd on VH1 or maybe the USA Network. Oh, you're right. Um, yeah. in the 90s. So I've seen it. Like, Have you not seen Girls Just Want to Have Fun? I've seen parts of that one. I've not seen The In Crowd. But you, okay, I have that soundtrack memorized as well. You're officially signed up for both on High School Slumber Party. Dancing in heaven. Yeah, with Helen Hunt and Shannon Doherty. And then they couldn't get the rights to Cindy Lauper doing Girls Just Want to Have Fun. So then they do a really bad like version of it. Oh, God. Yeah, it's so good, dude. So you mentioned, actually, that you enjoy this soundtrack for Hairspray as well. So Love it. Great picks, by the way. But what are your favorite songs on the soundtrack for Hairspray? Okay, I love the opening song, Hairspray, by Rachel Sweet, which is the only contemporary song. Leslie Gore, You Don't Own Me. Classic. classic. I Wish I Was a Princess. I forget who that's by, but I love that song. Mashed Potato Time is great. (laughs) Um, She's not played, but I love Shelley Fabre. Love her. Johnny Angel, Johnny Loves Me. Because the thing about the 60s is that they had sequels to songs. Yeah. Like, I love that. There's like Mr. Lee by the Bobettes. Then there's I Shot Mr. Lee by the Bobettes, which is probably my favorite sequel <laughs> song of all time. Do you know that there's a sequel to It's My Party called Judy's Turn to Cry by Leslie Gore? No, I did not know that. Yeah, because Johnny came back to me. Like she gets him back. Um, oh, then there's songs about dead teenagers. Like there's Tell Laura I Love Her, Tell Tommy I Miss Him. Two separate people, but it's a sequel song. I didn't realize that. Oh my god, I'm obsessed with sequel songs from the 50s and the 60s. Wow. So that's why I love, like, I love Mashed Potato Time because they even talk about it. I, I think Mashed Potato Time is they even mention like you know you know how to do the mashed potatoes, but do you know how to do this? Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Like you didn't expect this whole diatribe. That's awesome. That's something that I'm going to explore after we record. So yeah, sequel songs, fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Kate and. Uh, Always. Anything you want to plug? I mean, yeah, I just want to reiterate. I will fight anybody who wants to fight me. So just get on Twitter at Hudson Kate and pick a fight. <laughs> at Hudson Kate. <laughs> great handle. Always welcome here, Kate. And we'll we'll do some more Twilight stuff soon. I've been a little backed up with things, but we're gonna get that going again for sure. The people need Twilight. I think Twilight Mania is I don't want to say fading, but it's not as cool. No. I think it's not as cool as it was in the pandemic. By the way, that Ashley Green show, I don't want to diss it here, but I've li- I've tried to listen to a couple episodes. It's not really adding things that I didn't know. I'll just put it that way. Well, no, because we have spent the last three years talking about <laughs> Twilight once a month. How could it add anything? I do, Kate, I do want you to come on soon for Little Darlings, because that's a movie I have not <gasps> seen. And, oh. and you told me it was trending, and you told me you're an expert in it, so I want to watch it. That's another VH1 Friday night movie. It is. It is. Yeah. It is so good, you guys. It's one of my favorites. 
So we'll get you on for that soon. Kate, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Uh, we always welcome your chaos, but I felt like we were, there was a controlled chaos today. So cheers to that well, as well. I can't, I, listen, you can't go off the rails when you're talking about hairspray because there is a slight chance, just like with our Valley Girl episode, that the cast might listen to it and they need to know how much I love them. Oof. Ricky Lake, Divine, Vitamin Divine's C. Dead. Oh, wait. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> if Divine gets in touch with us, John Waters will absolutely want to have well, a John Waters, so. yeah. John Waters would be great. Oh, Divine, <laughs> if you are out there, Kate, you are a big ghost fan, so... Don't, don't dismiss Divine listening to this podcast. How dare you? Yeah. And you know what? If the craziness ever dies down with those fucking loons, I would be happy to talk Crybaby. Yeah. Crybaby will get to. It's another famous quote in the Hudson household, though. Crybaby Walker, I spit on your tears. <laughs> you quoted John Waters a lot in my house growing up. Your, your feral home where there was like traps for people in the lawn and stuff and quotes <laughs> quotes of random films and, and and you know john waters stuff but also like you're watching the heavenly kid and things like that like it, it sounds like a fun fun chaotic place to grow up and i get it, was it. A constant slumber party because there was no parental supervision <laughs> whatsoever well on that note kate it really checks out and thanks thank you once again and thank you for joining us on this slumber party Always and forever. Oh, feels so good to talk to Kate Hudson again. It's been too long. We'll get to that Twilight stuff soon, I promise you. But as you know, I'm just focused on getting High School Slumber Party on the fall schedule. The powers that be, Superintendent Mike Manzi, Joey Lewandowski, the godfather of the network, they haven't given me the green light yet. Hopefully they will. Crossing my fingers. And when they do, we'll have a yearbook special and we'll do... Everything like we normally were going to do, right? Hopefully. But if not, it might be the end of High School Slumber Party. So please, please, please support the show any way you can. Tell a friend about High School Slumber Party. Hit that subscribe button. That is really important. It helps me a lot. It doesn't do anything for you except subscribe to the show, which is cool anyway. So you get something for free. I get something for free, which is my pride. So we both win. <laughs> so once again, big thank you to Kate Hudson today. The aforementioned Mike Manzi, the superintendent, will be back for the next episode, and it's one of his favorite films. I'd never seen it before. Night of the Comet. Samantha? What? Ah! God, what are you trying to do? Give me a heart attack? What's happening? Oh, yeah, I guess you are a little confused. I'll go to pep squad practice and split after. So I don't know if pep squad practice is on or not. You can't get anybody on the phones. There's nobody. I mean, there's nobody. All right, nobody. Look. Look at this. Here's Doris. This is all that's left of her. This is dust. It's Saturday morning. Where are the goddamn kids? Give your, uh, give your MasterCard on you. No. Good, because you don't need it. The stars are up in!
Okay, girls, hold it right there. You, the blonde, get into the light. Need a lot of dates this one? Where'd you get this at dime store? I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. Might be all right for date night in the barrio, but if you want to any more of those guys outside, we need a little more stopping. So that is your summer homework. Watch Night of the Comet. It's really easy to watch. It's on a lot of those free apps. Honestly, I'm excited to talk this one because he has talked it up so much in the past that, I don't know, feels like a very Mike Manzi movie. That's all I'm going to say. Well, as much as I'd love to take a nap, I have a wedding to get to. So one more thing before I let you go. Remember that life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with, oh, how could we not? Mashed Potato Time by D.D. Sharp. Later, friends.